This episode was recorded on July 19th, 2020. Our topic for today, the no code movement. So, Johnny, first, follow-up from last week's News of the Week. So, last week, of course, we talked about America looking potentially to ban TikTok. Well, its competitors have wasted zero time in stomping over the yet-filled grave of TikTok in America. Instagram released Reel uh, into countrywide testing this week. And it's basically India banned it. Instagram went right in. And Reel, of course, is, it's basically Instagram's TikTok competitor. So Johnny, we saw Instagram do this play before with Snapchat in terms of stories. Do you think they'll be equally successful with Reel in terms of going in and making TikTok a, a not a distant memory, but less relevant than it is now? Oof, that's, that's true. The, Instagram has quite the history there. They did stop uh, Snap in its growth uh, track. So yep. it is a possibility they could do the same for TikTok. So this is Facebook's second attempt our parent company, Facebook's second attempt at taking on TikTok. They had, of course, Lasso. Lasso. Uh, yeah. They in had Brazil. Lasso, they were released earlier, yes, in Brazil. I could imagine that probably they built, uh, I don't know, but they oh. probably built the code bases insofar as they could just kind of merge that into Instagram if they needed oh. to. Was, I think, was it only in Brazil? I think it was being experimented in Brazil. I think it was supposed right. to be more places. That maybe went out in Canada, I don't remember, but... Right. I mean, it was but definitely meant it was, to be more places than Brazil. It just didn't get very far. But no, no. Lasso came from Facebook. Reels is coming from Instagram. They have a very different mind share these days. Huh? People are, in fact, that dumb, aren't they? Well, it's just the brand share that, uh, um, that the, the mind share and the brand awareness that these companies have. Yes, at the end of the day, it's one company <laughs> controlling all of it. But I think the fact when people hear something comes from Facebook versus something comes from Instagram, I think I, I'm, just, I'm just noting that difference where this time Reels is not coming from Facebook. It's coming from Instagram, which is interesting. Uh -huh. um, so the, it, could, it, could, it could be a potential for this. I see its success as not purely ban required but i i don't see it taking out tiktok if america doesn't ban tiktok the verdict on this is there's a chance there's a chance that instagram reels could gain some momentum on tiktok there's a chance there's a chance all right next story so johnny we have twitter accounts and luckily they haven't been hacked I haven't but, seen anyone tweet. Yes. However, if oh, we're not we were verified, here, Michael. We're not verified. We're not that's important. That's true. Yet. If we were very important people with a lot of followers, perhaps we would have gotten hacked this week. So take it away, Johnny, on the Twitter hack story. Oh, man. Where to begin with this? So it started with uh, Elon Musk, as it always does. Um, so to set the background, Elon Musk has been quite the fan of Bitcoin for a while. And in the past, his account has kind of been targeted for Bitcoin scams because again, he has support for it. Um, but basically the story begins with a, the, the tweet started with Elon Musk where he started tweeting out saying, hey, I'm feeling very generous. Um, send me a thousand bucks and I'll send you back 2000 bucks, right? 
um, in Bitcoin. And then he had a yeah, Bitcoin that's just, wallet address. Yeah, that, that just seems... You know what? Actually, I was going to say, yeah, that seems trustworthy. But to be honest, yeah, you could see Elon Musk saying that. <laughs> yeah, you, you could see Elon Musk saying that. He is... He, I mean, he did get rid of all his properties, so... It's but not granted, out of the you, realm of reality. You could, you just... could see him saying that if he created his own coin. And then he was like, I'll exchange yeah. your Bitcoin for my coin. That, that I could see him doing. It's, but it's, it's not that big of a stretch from the reality, I would say. No. Oh, yeah. No. Um, but then the next thing was that they discovered that all of these famous folks. So among the hang- hacked accounts were President Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Apple, Uber corporate accounts, and of course, pop star Kanye West. Um, Trump's was not because Trump has had, as they later released that, Trump has special security enhancements made to his account because I think it was two years ago. Was it two years ago when that employee, Twitter employee, (laughs) deleted Trump's account? Yes, or disabled his account on his last date. Oh, since then, Twitter's put some things in place there. So it's basically the closest that Twitter has come to to shutting down Twitter. And then people were like, okay, this was a scam. And of course people lost money, but given how much millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars are, are stolen through, you know, digital heist, all this hacking of international banks and whatnot, uh, it was 120, 140,000 that they saw in the, because the Bitcoin, uh, it's a ledger, right? And anybody can see it. So they could see the transactions that were going in and they saw at some point it was 120, then it was 140,000. So the, the amount wasn't, a lot. So this wasn't so much about the money. Well, of course it is for the victims. I don't know. Anyways, it is what it is on that side. But the bigger yeah, the one, picture the, was that one interesting thing, of course, about blockchain ledgers and Bitcoin. <clears throat> sorry, is that yes, every single transaction is verified, but because there is no central banking institution or authority, I don't believe there's any way to to get it back, with, to get your money back without what's it called without the the person the owner of the other wallet actively uh, agreeing to do it what's the bigger ramification like how it's it's the most widespread hack in twitter's history um and so there's talk that they use internal tools uh, this is all uh, guesswork at, at this point so the article that we link to uh in our show notes is from the new york times hackers tell the story of the twitter hack twitter attack from the inside and so right. it started with two hackers late Tuesday night where one of them said, yo, bro, I work at Twitter. Don't show this to anyone. Seriously. He then demonstrated he could take control of valuable Twitter accounts. Uh, the sort of thing that would require insider access to the company's computer network. So my point, and why, yeah, yeah. So my, my point is this, right? Like at the end of the day, you can do all those steps, right? You can have like a hundred character password. You can have two step authentication where you use the app and not text message because text message could you know, could be traced or whatever could be intercepted, what have you, you from a user could be so secure, but if you're, and I'm not saying that Twitter has done this, but if you're, if you're, if the service, like for example, uh, keeps the passwords in plain text on a database or text file, um, it doesn't matter. Your hundred character password means nothing. Someone will copy paste it and add it. And they might even be able to instruct you to step authentication if they have internal systems. And that's it. I mean, to be honest, so this, so here's the thing is like, to be honest, a system that allows you to do any uh, to do any C or U actions. Uh, so create. So so uh, what oh, we're referring to here is CRUD. So create, read, update, and delete. 
anything that allows you to do C or U, so any right action that Twitter owns, that's that's shady. Yeah, you don't need that system. You shouldn't be having that system on a user account anyways. There should be a lot of access that you need just to be able to do that to a user account, if at all any. That's that's yes. a little bit that's a little bit bush league in terms of security to begin with. And you can have delete and you can have read. And that's all you should be allowed to have on a user's account. Because yes, if they put something against your policies, delete that, of course. And of course, you need to read it in order to delete that. But outside of that, you shouldn't have anything. Yeah, I mean, do they allow us to modify tweets yet? No. Okay, so hopefully they're not able. But anyways, I just, I think the whole thing is- They can manually change the database. Of course. At the, end, at the end of the day, you can drop the table too. <laughs> when you're talking at the database level, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, this is very disturbing. Uh, we'll see how. Anyways, I think I didn't get really a chance to dive into the New York Times story, but I would uh, like to sit down and read it. I was reading some of the other shorter articles of what was going on and what's happened, and then basically Twitter locking their stuff down and then slowly reopening it up. But they haven't really said much. And of course, you know, at this point, Congress are asking about it. FBI is investigating. Lawmakers are demanding. So, um, yeah. By the way, just on that, something I learned, something I learned, which is a nice tip. Amazon employees are never allowed or Amazon representatives are never allowed to ask you for personal information I learned yesterday. How so you know so much about Amazon? So no, no. What, what this is, is it just so happened we were getting something for my younger sister's birthday. And then it was a large transaction. So the, they called me. It's like, okay, can we confirm this? I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's me. Do you need you know, proof that it's me? Some type of identification there? And the guy was like, oh, no, 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 no. Just to let you know, no Amazon representative is ever allowed to ask for your personal identification information. If an Amazon rep ever does that, that's a scam. Don't, uh, don't ever give that out. We're not allowed to ask. So I'm like, oh, that's, that's a really good tip. That's, that, was something that, today, you know, that was something I learned yesterday that was quite important, I feel. So, Michael, this is your way of saying that you're such a baller that Amazon has to call you and verify that it's you making the transactions. No, there's they, they do that. They do that <laughs> with just any. It's not like it's not like I was buying a car worth of Amazon gift cards, Johnny. It was just a it was just a simple it was just it was just money for it was just money for uh, textbooks. I got you. But it's like that with, uh, I mean, on a serious note, it is like that with like- Somewhere there's because... a college kid that will listen to this episode in the future when textbooks are $10,000 and like, no, you are balling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would are... say you are balling because textbooks are not cheap. Textbooks do not, not justify their value, but you need them. It's a monopoly. It's not balling. That's one of those, that's, that's like, oh, I pay so much on, let's say, medical bills. I pay so much on medical bills. I'm balling. No, you're alive. It's a necessity. It's like, how will you be? It's like the professors expect you to purchase a textbook that you will never open. As, as a broke college resell. kid. Yes, and you loans. can't resell for any money. Yeah, exactly. It's worthless. Worthless. And 500 bucks in, turns into like sub, like 50 bucks. It's horrible. Yeah, and if you're in a STEM field, it's useless. At least my ever, sister is in liberal arts, in which you, I would expect that they probably open their textbooks. If you ever want to invest in, a, in an asset that depreciates, uh, you know, a hundredfold. It's not cars, get, it's textbooks. Get textbooks, three months later, 
get them sold. Uh, you get to sell them back for like a tenth of the cost of what yep. you paid for them. Your textbook is $400. You sell it to the next class. That's $80. All right, Michael, today we are covering, we are covering the no code development platforms, the no code movement. So mm -hmm. we are going to talk about what is it, talk about yep. a brief history, basically the motivation behind it and who are the players? What are the offerings? What can you build today with these so-called no code services? And can we build any of these major popular apps today? right from a no from a no code ecosystem so to 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 set the context for why we're covering this and taking a break from our rich tech poor tech series is that we we covered shopify we covered twilio and we covered stripe and then we were talking about hey what if you could combine these three and bring something together uh because they facilitate all these different aspects of business right e-commerce payments communications um, and so this is what prompted us to look at how can you build a no-code ecosystem service and hence today's episode. All right, Michael, do you want to tell us what is the no-code? We looked at all of these individual services that were all like one line of code, two lines of code, and it made significantly, it took humongous systems, data centers, and uh, set up millions of dollars that you'd have to input otherwise and put it down to three lines of code. And that was great. And that's already, of course, game-changing, paradigm-changing, why these companies are as successful as they are, and, and they're very successful. But we said, okay, now what's one level beyond that? Because yes, even still, with all of these different services, I still need some rudimentary programming knowledge. And of course, as we often joke in this, uh, in this podcast, uh, one of us is a one of us is a software engineer the other one has not been a software engineer for many 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 years and if we were going to approach or specifically if i were going to approach a a software or rather an app yes i have you know some some programming skills but man i would much prefer a system that did not require me to understand the you know, any of the specifics of software development, instead just kind of like plug and play these systems together and do it. So the question was, okay, how, how possible is this kind of imaginary world that, that I was describing in which you could build a very complicated business and software app without actually knowing the core software information uh, that's required there? How close are we? So that's that's what piqued our knowledge and our piqued our interest in this particular topic. And then so we decide, okay, let's let's look at what's in this space. Now I will admit, Johnny, going in, I pretty much thought that, yeah, I'm gonna look through all these things at the end of the day. I'm still gonna say, yeah, give me a console, give me an ID. It's it's easier for me to code this myself. But I think I was surprised in some places when I went out through this. But anyway, so Johnny. Before we dive into the specific offerings of no code and why people would be interested in those services, let's talk a little bit about, and it sounds rudimentary, but, but the, the place of computer programming or the place of coding and kind of the history of, of how it's been, uh, been developed over the past 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years. Awesome. This is going to be a quick crash course on the history of computing because this is not about computing. All right. So computer systems haven't really changed much. They've, been, they've gone much, much faster. They're able to store much more data. Data storage has become much cheaper. But fundamentally, computer systems understand zeros and ones. 
the primary binary language of basic computer instructions. Obviously, people do not think of zeros and ones. So above zeros and ones is assembly. Michael, have you ever coded in assembly? We, uh, yeah, for hardware only. Right, in your past life. So assembly languages, which maintain a close correspondence with binary instructions form the second level. And yeah, you can code assembly languages, but you really don't. Then above us assembly languages are the more common programming languages, such as COBOL, which has become popular during this whole pandemic due to- Because everything our... was still written in it from 30 years ago. And they have no reason to change it. So COBOL, BASIC, Java, C++, which in this context are considered third generation languages. So, so yes, there's these languages that allow us to do all these great things, but using these languages actually requires uh, a skill. It's a skill that you need to develop and build and constantly be practicing and getting, getting better at. It's also partial art, right? For you to think of how a program works, to design it and to build it is there's a part that's mechanic about it and then there's a part that's artistic about it. So that's the challenge, right? So since then, there's been this ongoing quest to improve the productivity by allowing business people to generate their own programs using rapid application development tools. This really first gained impetus in the 1980s and 1990s, and they were termed the fourth generation languages. But most of the pioneers at the time actually floundered after a few years of success. From my research, there's this so-called no-code, and then there's actually low-code. So uh, a quick difference between them is that in the no-code corner, you have citizen developers, right? Business users who can build functional but generally limited apps without having to write a line of code. And then you have the low-code corner, which in contrast actually centers on professional developers, streamlining and simplifying their work, delivering enterprise class applications with little or no hand coding, right? So just this is just to set the context to show like it's not just, hey, there's a bunch of tools that are catered only to people who want a nice GUI that can drag and drop uh, like a workflow or an app and build something that's functional. And behind the scenes, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happening to facilitate that. But there's also tools that cater to developers who want to spend less time coding because they, you know, they need to uh, work against the clock to deliver products and services to their internal customers. So, all right, Michael. So do we want to uh, quickly go over what are the types of no code offerings that are out there? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I would say the first type of no code, uh, offering that most people have seen in the past 10, 20 years is website developers. So in the, in the olden days of the 90s and early 2000s, you had to hire someone to develop your website. They knew some basic HTML, like probably HTML2 and, uh, and CSS, if that was even out at the time, they knew a little bit of that. They would come in, they would style your website, they'd build it for you. And then during the, I want to say the mid 2000s, even though certainly there were, there were some that were, came earlier, you start seeing website builders online, which were more visual representations of how you build websites. Still at the time, just HTML, CSS, and basic JavaScript, really. But was, there was the rise of WYSIWYG editors, such as a very popular one, Squarespace, I remember was a very popular one in this field. There were others whose names just kind of, uh, that kind of slipped my mind at this point, but it was gave a lot of users the ability to just, they were just able to go make a website. And that was the first hurdle that I would say was covered to which today I would even say that this is perhaps the most complete no code solution because 
if you were to try to create a website today, creating one from scratch would actually be, I would say, unless you have something very, very specific needs, a less efficient and a less desirable way than using one of these website builders themselves. So that's one of the, the type of no-code offerings. As I start to look out, of course, I realized that, that a lot of these different offerings were kind of features that spurred off from the idea of having an individual website. So for example, there are social offerings. And these are the ones that enable email campaigns. There's the ones that enable chatbots. If anyone's ever taken a computer programming course or ever tried to program one of these themselves, involve rewrite access, or they involve webhooks, or they involve polling, or they involve all these different things, user management, or, or these type of things, create read-write access. There is some effort in terms of doing all these type of things for email, uh, SMTP services. It's like understanding these kind of basics. But then there are a bunch of no-code solutions or, or less code solutions such as Discuss, which allows you to put a chat thread into any web page, MailChimp, which manages a lot of email automation campaigns uh, and distribution management, Landbot, which creates a chatbot for your system. We talked about this, of course, Twilio, that hooks into, which is, does require coding, but hooks into all of these different communication systems and platforms, uh, Typeform, which allows you to create a whole form of questionnaires. And I also put, in fact, like form wiki and all these other things uh, into the service as well, are things that you can start integrating into your website uh, without the need for, uh, for any type of coding or very minimal coding. And then as well, kind of naturally coming off of websites, if you think about a lot of reasons why a business created a website, a third category that I saw pop up a lot was of course e-commerce. And a lot of these services, website builders themselves, have e-commerce built in or they'll partner with the e-commerce organization. So in this case, we've talked about Shopify a lot, the, really the big player in this space. It's also Gumroad. Uh, but basically, these are things with very minimum amount of coding that will allow you to go create a web front, allow you to start sending and receiving payments and start handling inventory. Um, so those are kind of the, I would classify those as more of the business side of things in terms of business solutions. Then those I would say have been around. What I saw when I went back again this time was that slowly I was starting to see deeper levels of integrations or deeper levels of no-code solutions that are more technical based. So for example, uh, there are now voice solutions. So what I mean by that, so like if you want to build an Alexa or a Siri app, there's something called voice flow. Now, which is used as a, a drag and drop uh, WYSIWYG UI and a workflow UI, which I think is common, I would say, to a lot of these no-code solutions, that visual workflow UI. You can start putting together trigger points and features to allow you to create a web app, uh, to allow you to create a voice app. There's now a system, uh, likewise, for AR VR, uh, which is called, uh, what's, what's it called? Which is called Skaptic. And that allows you to make 3D renderings of furniture and allows you to move those in an AR in an AR environment. So this integrates with uh, so this integrates with uh, of course Apple's AR Kit and its core ML systems. So if you had to do that as an individual program, you have to know two systems for that. Even a level down, I realized that there's data systems. So that was a surprise to me. And now there's solutions like Airtable. What I've then came to realize is now because all of these things are going multi levels down, just from solution 
to feature and function, that they all in once, and that the workflow integrators, such as a Parabola, such as a Bubble, such as a Zapier, and we have a show notes that have all of these different types of systems, such as if this and that, and that, that's entire job is connecting uh, all of these systems together have also gotten more advanced. And they've also started to, so when I looked at uh, Zapier, or sorry, when I looked at Parabola, for example, which is a visual workflow integration service, I realized, oh, this hooks into a bunch of other of these no-code solutions or minimal code solutions. This hooks into Shopify. This hooks into MailChimp. This hooks into Airtable. This hooks into Coda, which is a document system. So as these systems and services are getting more and more advanced, or I would say more and more low level, if we were to use software uh, development thinking, these all-in-one systems are getting more and more powerful in terms of what they do. So that's a lot of the players I found, but it will be remiss to also point out that this isn't just an area that small and niche startups and businesses are working in, or recently IPO businesses are working on. There's a lot of money and a lot of attention being paid by some of the largest companies in the world, such as Amazon, such as Google, and such as Microsoft. And Johnny, uh, since you're Mr. AWS in this, uh, in this podcast, I'll let you talk about Honeycode and GCP system and uh, Power Apps. Thank you, Michael. Um, so, yeah, as you just mentioned, um, you know, the big, uh, the big boys have been entering this market. So now come along, you know, AWS, Google, Microsoft. So Microsoft has Power Apps. That's their service. I think Google acquired uh, AppSheet or rather, you know, the GCP Google Cloud Platform, which is a subsidiary of, of Alphabet, uh, acquired AppSheet. And now you have the AppSheet service through Google Cloud. And you know their whole tagline is enable everyone in your organization to build and extend applications without coding. Um, but with Microsoft, you you know they have Power Apps. The world the world needs great solutions. Build yours faster. Everyone can build. Everyone can quickly build and share low code apps with Microsoft Power Apps. So that's interesting that Microsoft sells itself as a as a low code uh, solution. AWS Honeycode, which is the most recent solution. Uh, I think it even came out, I think I want to say last month, I think it was in June as a beta. There's always just so much demand for some kind of custom application, uh, internal tools and all that. But in, but in reality, there are no, there aren't enough developers. The other one I do want to highlight briefly is MakerPad. I heard about this through Indie Hackers, another great resource for entrepreneurs who want to listen and learn from others as they build and share in their journey. Uh, so MakerPad, this guy built, I think it was in six months, a $200,000 business, if I remember correctly. But MakerPad is a place that you can come and learn how to build a business using no-code tools. So there's different tools, um, just as an example from the website. You can come see uh, how to, you know, rebuild a morning brew sales process, uh, automation at work, learn the basics of no-code, build a meetup replica in Adalo. So there's not just the services that help you build this stuff, but there's also an ecosystem that you can go and learn from on how to use these no-code services. One of the questions that we had going into this, uh, this episode that Michael, you raised was, you know, how is it, can we build any of these major products and services out there? Like, you know, the Twitter, the Facebook and whatnot using the no-code service. And one of the articles I was reading, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah. So one of the articles I was reading mentioned like the most famous example that they can provide is not real twitter.com a Twitter clone that was created in four days by just one person. Some other examples that they raise is, and we'll link to them in our show notes is Q critic, a community for designers to share and learn scare hunt, a horror movie recommendation engine, value my place, find out the value of your property tree for a simple way to stay focused and trap up this section. Uh, I think in that same article, they had a example of what a no code stack looks like. So if we put these no code solutions to the, through the, through the grinder for a bit and think about what we can and cannot build with them. So I took a look at not real Twitter. It certainly seemed, it seems to be, uh, you seems to be able to create some instanced user sessions uh, and user accounts and then upload them into a central DB. What's, but let's, let's, let's take a think about this, which is what's missing in these no code solutions. If we want to build, let's take, let, let's take something, let, let's take two companies of popular note. So let's take Twitter, for example. What's missing if we want to make Twitter with no code? So if we look at what this is, this was built, this was built being bubble. It looks like a Twitter. So the H, so if we establish what's been done, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, basic web design. I think that one's covered. I think that's almost a hundred percent covered, to be honest. Outside of making very specific JavaScript apps, I almost say that's a hundred percent covered. Which is to say, I think at this point, almost anyone can create a website that looks like these large that looks like Twitter. I won't even say these uh, these other particular apps that looks like Twitter. But if now, if I had to look at how to function, which is one thing. So there's, there's email sign up and all of this. I bet you that's just going to a very simple DB, a very simple relational database that's not sharded or parsed in any kind of way. Then all of these different messages, I noticed that there's zero real tweets, which makes me probably feel like um, there's very few tweets by very few users. It makes me feel that they probably ref they flush this database every now and then just so it doesn't get too big in terms of storage. Uh, either that or literally no one's gone on this website since 2015. They'd probably flush it. And I would say that if we were to, let's say Twitter went down, we put all of Twitter's users on this site. This site, there's no way this site can store all of those tweets. So scale is something that I think is definitely missing. Um, and the thing is I'm choosing Twitter because Twitter is so simple. Twitter is so darn simple um, because there's no, there's no machine learning, there's no relevance, no recommendations, very little ads, if any. Uh, there is that the recommendations would just be for people who you should follow. So there's no that. So that's also missing. Okay. So basically what you're saying is that it sounds like even the example of not real Twitter shows you that you can clone Twitter. No, no. It looks like, no, you cannot clone. It looks oh, well, like Twitter. Okay. And okay, I think sure. that's the only thing that we can say for sure. You can make something look like something, but not functionally be, it does not function like it. And in order for it to function like it, it's missing scale, the ability to scale. It's not just missing scale. It's missing scale. It's missing any type of recommendation system. That's a core functionality. That's just not there. That's not there in any of these no code solutions. You'd, so let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. So could it be possible that this is an opportunity for someone to build? Oh, of a... course. But, but of course, but I'm just pointing out what's missing right now. Sure. sure. Like a, a recommendation engine could just be a call away. 
it's very simple. A recommendations engine is very simple to make. And it's very simple. It's, it's simple to code, to be honest. And it's also simple to logic and intuit. There's right. only so remember, many out of the box recommendation systems in the world. Remember, remember, mm -hmm. um, it's simple to code. The point is not to code. Well, no, no, it's simple to code, which means it's easily logic and intuited. So I say, so I can see a system where we break down is what's the input. How do we want to rank it? What's the weight of certain things? These are all things that you could see a UI and tune for. And that's all we're really doing with a lot of these out of the box algorithms anyways, is just tuning them. Right. So there is, there's that, um, there is, so Airtable will give me data. So there, there is that aspect and element. What else is missing just from Twitter? So this, oh, DMs and this other side thread would be probably really hard to do with no code, I would imagine. Because now you have private instanced chat threads with each other. Okay. So that one, if I were to think about the, the technology around building that, you have to have... Oh, I, I can't even search. That's kind of annoying. Yeah, oh, search. Search is something you don't have there. But I think search... Well, is, search kind of works when you click on someone's user, but you can't like search text. Mm -hmm. I see. So searching through text, there's another one. Yeah. Um, and that I think probably with Airtable integration you can get. So I don't think right. search is is out of out of the out of the realm of possibilities. Okay. Sailing recommendations. Um, I think one of the ones you highlighted was data ingestion. Data ingestion. Well, and profile management in in what's missing. So at scale, I would imagine, well, at scale, so in, in seeing some of these solutions, it does look like there's some rudimentary profile management. But I, the thing to go along with that is any form of security. So two-factor authentication, as we were talking about earlier, complex well, passwords. Well, well, clearly even any, <laughs> the main product doesn't, isn't that far ahead sometimes. Sure, but we're trying to make better Twitter. <laughs> we're trying to make at least Twitter and then better. The <laughs> two-factor authentication, any type of security in terms of user security and management. I'm not sure if password recovery is a part of this system. That one I feel probably is, could be, should probably be offered. So yeah, just generally handling users and profiles without having to rely on Google sign-in or Facebook sign-in, because you could always do that. Facebook sign-in, Google sign-in, just you know, kick the can down the road in terms of uh, handling users and user information. So you're just handling very basic information. Well, I would say, but a pure no-code user profile, user management system, probably that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily exist yet. And then those private threads were mentioned. So just from the very basics of Twitter, which is if you think about it, a really, really simple form, the ability to make private threads, which you could maybe do with some of these chat type systems. I would say that we're probably 50% of the way there to make a Twitter, to be honest. Yeah, and as, as you mentioned, right, like the first thing, which is the easiest thing, if you will, is always the design, right? It's, it's not that difficult. Even with just plain HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you can recreate the Twitter experience, but that's not the hard part. With Twitter, it's, it, yeah, we see this, it's pretty cool. It looks very design-wise, very similar, if not identical to the real Twitter. Well, but the real that Twitter is from easy. like 2012. 
So yes. yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Like if you were like if you were to put your you know your time capsule back in time, be like, oh, I remember this. Uh, but I agree. It you know you don't obviously and Twitter is obviously much larger than this in terms of you know the fuel the analytics it provides, the APIs it provides, the, the insights it provides for lots of people who, are, who want to consume and 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 see what's happening on Twitter. Which um, I think so, Airtable is not too too far. But it's not no. close either. No. no. Okay. All right. I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, so for, I would so, say if we were to make not real Twitter a little bit better, we'd probably, of just using no-code solutions or minimum code solutions, we'd probably institute Google sign-in or Facebook sign-in in order to not have to handle the user profile management. We'd probably use one of these chat-based systems or chat room based systems or integrate a Slack channel for 101 PM uh, for 101 private messaging. And then we would do a combination of, we'd do a combination of Airtable for some of the analytics and some of the data on it to scale that entire system, probably have to get everything. We'd have to back everything by AWS. At that point, I wonder if we run into a stumbling block with no code. Hmm. Okay. So, Okay, so you say you were fifty percent to 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 a real Twitter. The Twitter of two thousand twelve, at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and a re sorry, recommendations engine. And we need a recommendations engine, so there's nothing there. There's nothing there for us for that right now. Right. right. So that's Twitter, which is a very simple tool. Let's try a harder one. Uber. Oh. Well, Uber, you need a whole bunch of stuff, actually. If you think so it needs to be mobile. So there are apps. There are no code solutions that do that. And you need two mobile, right? A driver app and a, a writer app. Yep. So you could, again, the the looks of it. Now, actually, I would even say this: if I look at the mobile development apps, their look is not that their look is not the to par with the high level mobile apps of today. I probably because mobile apps are more they're they're apps. They're they're not just layouts. Is the key of mobile apps. So the the UI is even a bit further away on the mobile app. The, so again, missing messaging, missing scale. GPS, oh, location-based services, oh. any, One any of the, kind of that. Go on, John. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just looking back at Honeycode from on their website, and one of the things that they tout is that they can make it mobile. So I don't know if it necessarily applies to like yeah, an no, Uber. No, but, no, they can definitely make it mobile. A lot of these can make it mobile, but it's just like, it's very boxy. Right, which, right, right. I, which I would say when I was thinking about this, a general trend that made me realize that makes this a bit easier is that website design and mobile app design has become so generic and standardized that yeah. it does allow this to become a little bit easier, which I think is a, is a tailwind yeah. that really helps it. You have your hamburger button. You have your hamburger button. But if we think what we're missing with Uber, that entire GPS functionality, that entire queue management functionality, the matching. So... Doing matching queues, queue management of any kind is, I, I don't see a no code solution for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I don't want to say it's rocket science, but it's not trivial either. Mm -hmm. uh, especially yeah. at, at, the, at the, you know, at the scale that Uber operates. Mm -hmm. um, performance, not, actually, here's, here's a th something about, yes. as I think about it, is performance. We haven't slower. even touched on performance. Slower. Right? So well, even I, if you I end up with some solution. Scale, but certainly it's slower. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's tight to scale, but just, especially with like more for an Uber, right? 
Well, like with Twitter, it's slightly different because you can't really, you can't really notice it. And what I mean by that is, as an well, example, Twitter is real is time this. too. So I do well, wonder if that not well, of not real Twitter well, is actually real time. Well, okay, that that's the thing, right? So if you think about it, yes, it has a timestamp, but when you tweet and you send it out, of course, it you want it to see immediate posting. It, that that's probably achievable. But then the question is, is it achievable in no coding though? Because oh, I, I I typed something and it was posted. But do would I see it? For example. Uh, that's a good question. So I mean, the cheap way we think about it for no for a feed is we would just we would just do long polls for it, right? But I wonder if any of these no code solutions that have a feed element. They may, they may. I, I I think that's rudimentary software enough that they probably have a feed based element, a real time feed. Because I saw it, I saw in some of these documents for the real code, they're talking about like real time streaming solutions. So I think they they have that at the very least. Right. But what I'm trying to say is like with Twitter, you could play tricks to, to mimic some time of like, say for example, you can't get everybody real time, but you can get some proximity to be real time for you. At least the stuff that matters at a very naive level. Right. But for Uber, there's no way to make a Uber clone and try and cheat. You can't cheat that performance. Right. Core functionality it, is just not there. No, no. So for something like Uber, I would say we're probably, what, 5%, 10% there? You get the user management. You got the, a little bit of the UI, but we're like 5 10% there at most. Yeah, definitely less than 20%. I mean, all of these are cheats in, in one way or another. The, I think what we're established is there's no, what is a 100% solution? So that's, so that's good. If you're building an e-commerce web front, I think that's a 100% done solution. Of course, if people are using the no code, movement are more likely to be non-developers, even though of course developers do use it. But one thing I've, I've seen is like, you know, they'll use like a Squarespace, they'll use like a WordPress, they'll use a Stripe, they'll use a Zapier to bring something together. And they tend to be more, at least what I've observed is service oriented, where, yeah. you know, we'll yep. help you write content and we'll put it out there and we'll automate, right? We don't, we won't build a website. We'll just use a theme like a WordPress theme, put that together. We'll send you PayPal invoice. And so and that's what I'm seeing, but it's not, yes. It's, it's less based of on a trend, tech it's product. Tra yes, actually. So actually what I was going to say, so real quick to organize this. Yes. If we go into the percentages, like single service systems. So like a simple web store, a simple customer service, like, like little bit interactions. The, that's, I think, 100% covered by these no-code solutions. Now, because if we look at Twitter, if we said it was about 50%, the differences we said scale, that doesn't matter for like a simple one-to-one -one service or a one-to-small group service. The user management doesn't matter that much, though you could, that, that we said that one is pretty solvable in itself. And all the analytics doesn't matter because that's, you know, that's, that's all kind of superfluous to these small apps. So in the services and solutions, in the solution space of, UI and look and a little bit of social, little bit of user engagement and interaction. I think that's 100% covered with no code. You don't have to write a single line of code to solve those. Going beyond that to something like Twitter, which is a solution with some features and needs some scale, we're thinking 50% on that one. Now for a full app where the feature, the unique feature of the app itself is its 
main selling point like Uber, five, 10% at most. Really, in terms of functionality, 0%, 0% on something like that. So that is where I would say the, the threshold is right now, or, this, or the gradient is right now, and what no code can enable. So yeah, it's exactly that, that what we said, if your core thing is not technology, it's just technology enables your business, the no code is a great, potentially a great solution for you right. and enables you to move much faster. But if technology is the heart of what you're doing, then it's like, you can start with a no code solution to verify, right? To validate your idea, right? Like you could have, as an example, like Reddit could have started on like kind of a WordPress forum page just to see, hey, will people gravitate to this? And if they do, then let's move forward to build something that's you know, our own. Right. So I would say this though, Johnny, as to kind of wrap up and think about the future of no code. Yes. When I started to look at it, I, 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 some realizations hit me and some thinking twists had to happen. So when I first started to look at it, I think I was still looking at it from my technical background. And when I looked at the no code solutions, I was like, ugh, this isn't, I know I would do this. It's like, ugh, this is missing this functionality. Now I, I would do that. Why don't you give me these components? It's like, I was still thinking very much like a, like a software engineer thinking of how I look at no code. But I realized halfway through that, oh no, no, this is incredibly just geared to non-technical people. I would say skewed almost completely towards non-technical people or people who don't have any software, or software chops. Because as I was going through this, kind of services halfway through, I was thinking, well, could I build this? Could I build this by the by? I think there's a good challenge for us in this. So we'll discuss in a bit. But I was thinking like, could I build this? Could I build this? And in my mind, I kept thinking, well, I could just, you know, open up a flask.io and Python and then just build a very simple rudimentary website and HTML and CSS and then have these functional calls and then put this on a small, uh, on a small, like what's that? SQLite? SQLite, there we go put this on a, a rudimentary SQLite DB. And then if I wanted to translate that to AWS, I know how to do that. I was still thinking like a software developer, focusing on this. And I realized this isn't for me. It's like the space right now isn't for me. It's not designed for me. It's designed for people who absolutely don't want this, at least the majority. But of course, what we're talking about with Amazon approaching space, GCP approaching this space, uh, Microsoft approaching this space, these companies, are software companies and they think like software companies and have software developers designing and when you have people working on these systems you tend to get people who build for themselves my question is this as we look for the future of no code because we pointed out all these things that are missing do you see that no code becoming more and more in line with the features that true software engineers would need because i believe it'll take until that point until no code can be truly successful. Cause I would say right now it's just service, service, service. So it's truly successful for, you know, what we would want it to do. I, I don't think so. Uh, from my research uh, in kind of the brief history we, we went over, if you think about it, part of the motivation of the no code movement is to facilitate, uh, you know, business folks and what they call citizen developers to be empowered to build stuff, right? Um, it's not, its philosophy was never geared towards, hey, uh, let's empower software engineers to build stuff, right? It was always, hey, hey, I want to build something. Traditionally, I've had to hire a developer who knows what they're doing to build me my website, to build me my app, uh, what have you, right? But like now, cobbling enough things together, because that's not my main thing. My main thing is not building an app. My main thing is providing a service 
I can now be able to move faster and validate my idea, my product in the marketplace without ever hiring a developer because I have all these uh, all these services that are available to me. But but if these guys introduce these no code tools and there's no way to export that function functionality and put it somewhere else, then you have, if you will, almost real vendor lock-in that isn't that a motivation to do it though for who for all of these cloud for gcp no absolutely for them it is but it's it's a concern for but what sure it's a concern but wouldn't that mean but from the no code standpoint though wouldn't that mean that the the prospects of it advances because another thing i was thinking let's think about it sure gcp and amazon all these companies they have all of these different solutions they have they have systems they can build recommendation engines on aws has it gcp has it they have search they have all of these other features and they want you to integrate because why because you paid them to use these they charge by use so why wouldn't they want to open up great services more no to them it's absolutely great it's a no-brainer right because they they can provide that full spectrum right and so then wouldn't and those and those folks there you keep doing the mental math in your head which is yeah i'm going to create a startup how much do I have to pay a software developer contractor? $20,000, $50,000 or whatever to make this app? Okay, it's not worth it. Let me instead uh, do Let me instead do this. If this just opens and, up and opens up and opens up and opens up and AWS is incentivized because maybe the first year of that app with all of these kind of core functionalities, it's only $5,000 for me as, as that startup founder, right? I think, I actually, I don't think that, uh, what's it called? that no code won't catch, not catch up, but won't get closer and closer. So why can't it come to the point in which machine learning engineers of 2008, if you will, not now, but 2008 is completely covered. So I, I would, so I would look at it like this, like, and you can kind of see this happening in the machine learning world, if you will. Um, you're right. If you're a small company, you can, Hobble together a bunch of different APIs from cloud providers, and it's almost like you don't care. It's like, oh, I have to recognize a face, I can use this API and I can do that. Oh, I need to recognize an object, I can use this API and do it. It's just become a plug and play scenario. But at the, you know, if you will, top tier, the research and whatever, there's people looking at new machine learning algorithms, there's people that are thinking of how do we continue to optimize this from an operational standpoint. You'll still always have like the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and the Amazons that are operating at a tier that they need. Uh, if you will, the, bright, the, the best and brightest minds working on some of these things, but they are democratizing it. So I can see it where, so my, my argument is that I see it go, come up to par, but I will I continue to see that at least for the foreseeable future, it will continue to coexist. Sure, uh, sure. I, I don't think that we're ever going to get rid of software engineers. However, I would oh. say this though, if you think about it from a company standpoint, a company business standpoint, why, why are these big companies coming in? Yes, Using my cloud service provider is a great boon for me. It's a great uh, value for me. It's you, using my APIs is great. However, if your entire app end-to-end from day one is completely yep. built on yep. my system, I have you. It's like if, if yep. AWS, right. if Amazon's like the next Uber comes around and Amazon's just can put a stamp there. It's like built by Amazon. <laughs> it's like... It's like yep. not not and not in the UR or anything, but Amazon has that. It's like at a certain point. Oh, you're you, right. Cause cause right now they, they say built on Amazon. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, just 
when I was traveling, I think it was in Europe and I was just walking like the airport, I noticed that there's all these advertisements for AWS. So I didn't yep. notice here. And it's like, you know, what? just making this up, it was like Deutsche Bank is run, built on AWS, but now yep. you're able to say built by AWS. Yep. I mean, think about it, which is, think about the potential of this. Oh, it's, it's also think, it's think about the potential of this, which is like, if you think about all of the unicorn companies that have come after AWS, if you think about all of these public companies that have come after Microsoft, Google, and AWS, and then you flip to a world where the next huge $50 billion funding startup is built completely in a GCP system, all that revenue is also coming the GCP. Yes, when you get big enough, you might get off of it. But think about that. Think about how much money beyond what, uh, what's it called? What any of these companies are even getting today no, could no, get from touch, What you're basically touching on is this. Johnny, you, you, you got to go join that, AWS, that, Johnny. You, you know you that, already that, want to. You no, join AWS. No. I'll join GCP. It's, no. uh, someone will join Microsoft. This is where no. it is. This is where the industry is, listen. Johnny. No, listen, listen, focus, focus. Um, this is, you touched upon this, but I don't think you clearly articulated this. This is the, the, the breadwinner in all this. The, the, how many developers are there? Like 20 million? But let's even say, let's round it up and say with all the people that kind of play around with some coding and stuff, let's say maybe you push it to 100, 200 million that can kind of have some idea of how to code stuff, let's just say. Because I think that's just professional developers. So if you say 200 million, right? And then you think about the population of the world, and then, okay, not everyone's online. So you kind of reduce it to the, the amount of the population of the world that has access to mobile phones, to computers, and then think about who has access to mobile phones. Like there was that kid, a kid taught himself how to program in Java using only his mobile phone. Now think about how, in those cases where people don't have access to a computer, how they can build a website, how they can build a business on their phones. Cause their phone is the largest, is, is, is the most personal communication. And most people Still, have it. This is still why I said my idea of software so, development so, so, on the mobile platform. So yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, and this is the point I'm trying to set. With these cloud services now getting into the space, they're now catering to not just developers, which they've historically done, but now they're opening it up to, hey, all you guys that want to build apps, but don't know how to code and don't have time and whatever, now you can. And you're right, and the next big thing is, okay, now that you've done that, there's a decent, size of the world population that doesn't have access to a computer but has a mobile phone now how do you get them how do you enable them to build businesses and services just using their phones so johnny what but, you're saying is we need to create where we are going to create the company that addresses the need that addresses the shortage of software developers in the world not by creating more software developers but by enabling people with ideas to do it without software developers All righty then. All righty yes. then. So Johnny wants to uh, entrepreneur himself out of a job. Excellent. <laughs> uh, well, you know, this world is uh, keep moving or you're, you're hurt. Yeah. You're either the world keep, doesn't sleep. You're either, you're either get busy moving or get busy dying is the expression. Yes. 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 Uh, but, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Well, actually, so the, the, before that, there's, there's one thing, Johnny which is I got a challenge for you. All right, what's the challenge? All right, the challenge is this. So we've been studying these no-code solutions and uh, what's it called? And of course, 
if we were to let's put it this way if we were to do a programming challenge i would be at a disadvantage because you are uh, a practiced computer software engineer and i have not done that in a long long time that's all right so, we, can, we can use your favorite toy language python the non-serious oh yeah. one oh yeah but but <laughs> i have i have an encounter which is let's in a month oh, using only no code solutions and not allowed to write a single line of code that's outside of those what those solutions those like solution scripting language we must build an app or web app whether it be app, web app or android app that we are going to that we can use for our for some purpose in our lives in the next and it's due in the next month so we have one month to do this and then we'll send a link to it or publish it in a, in a, a medium post or something all right, you have a deal. All right, then. All right, coding competitions. Well, actually, no coding competitions. Yes. All righty, then. So we're just missing a designer. Just need some design chops. Well, no, that, oh, actually, so that's an interesting thing. If you notice with this, what is, uh, we, we didn't mention this. We should get one of our designer friends to, to kind of jump in uh, on this topic in the future. Well, yes. There's not much for a role of a designer, I saw, in these no-code solutions. That's interesting. That's interesting. That That's interesting. interesting. If designers, so it's like if designers are more not at risk, but are more impacted by no code solutions than engineers are. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. It's interesting. Uh, anyways, but the gauntlet has been thrown down for the challenge and we'll figure out some way to figure out who wins at the end of this, or if there is a winner and if there is a winner, what type of prize? But uh, with we're that, both winners, A, A for effort. So with that, that's uh, the challenge has been thrown down. And you've been listening to another episode of the Silicon Trail. Have a wonderful week and stay safe out there.